0: Welcome to Money is Not Evil podcast, where you will learn all about the good money can do for you. We all know knowledge is power, so learn now and then earn. Enjoy. Being liked up to People speak up a of at a conference, what I want you to do is first Just going to be got the crazy thing with happened. Come on, give me a guess when you got it. I do see a lot of young faces around, and uh, I'm young myself. So my question to you is, if you can go back in time, right, and knowing what you know now, what is the best advice you would give your 20-year-old self? Crush Felicia. Yeah, I'd say these are hard questions, but one of them cut the learning curve. Uh, The famous, I think it was Aristotle or Socrates, life is long. uh, Life is short, but art is long. The art of living a good life. I always say most people will be a millionaire at 140 at their current learning curve rate. So, whenever you can speed up the learning curve, yeah, you do the math of most people. They literally, the average American retires with $60,000 at 70. If you do the math, they'll be a millionaire at about 150 if they get six, 7%. So, that's too slow of a learning curve. And the reason we go slow is we forget the great saying that says, It's true, we only learn from mistakes, but they don't have to be ours. So I would become very good at analyzing other people's mistakes. Um, Books is one format, mentors, whatever it would be. So that's number one. Number two, I kind of came up with this moniker or acronym KSE. So knowledge, strategy, execution. Most people do it out of order. I have a lot, there's a lot of people in this room and my times in my life when I've been an EKS or a, you know E only. So you have to have a large knowledge base. It's not enough to just believe in yourself. We all believe, you know, it's important to believe in yourself, but the head of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, said that what he learned from running the US banking system is the average person is overly optimistic. So we're overly optimistic because we forget, to get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world's not yet a crazy enough place to reward a whole bunch of undeserving people. So when you build your knowledge base, then you are the heart surgeon that people will come to because you've done 10,000 surgeries. Nobody wants to go to a surgeon who doesn't have a knowledge. So you go, you don't want to go to the surgeon, you go, I need heart surgery. And he's like, which side is it on again? (laughs) Now, he might believe in himself. And his mom told him he'll always succeed, but you don't want to believe in him. So... That's the K. The S is the step. A lot of people in this room and myself, you become an overanalyzer. You build a huge logical base of knowledge. A guy came to my house the other day. He had this spreadsheet. It was insanity where he'd analyzed every lesson he'd ever learned in life. And it was an Excel with 250 rows. And I said, but have you strategized and personalized it? Because like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until I punch them in the mouth. (laughs) And so... A plan is what most people have. Okay, Warren Buffett made money doing this, but they never personalized it to themselves. And it's easy to win a chess game when the other person can't move. But we live in the world where other people are moving too. And that's what Mike Tyson meant. You got a little plan, You're gonna, but Mike Tyson's coming for you too. And we all have forces at work coming against us. Like Freud said, death and dissolution of the body. You have you know, the forces of physics getting hit by a car, and you have other people who don't always have your best interests at heart. So you have to not strategize the knowledge and personalize. And then the last one is what I said. You must execute experiments. And you, uh, the richest man in the world, people don't realize, was Thomas Edison at one point who started GE, and it took him about 1,100 experiments to come up with the light bulb. Kentucky Fried Chicken was the st- second biggest restaurant in the world. Colonel Sanders asked about 980 people before the first person gave him cash. So. If you're not willing to go through the execution curve of a lot of experiments, most people stop after three. You got to go through a lot, man. Right now, I feel like I talk about this a lot, so I should be good at it. My current ratio is 15 to one. Every 15 experiments, whether it's on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, I get one win. And that's too tough for most people, but it's not that hard. If you just knew you had to go through 15 to get to one and you come in with that framework, you will continue to execute experiments. Don't try to play God and figure out what will win. Let God tell you through experiments. That's good. Let's give a hand for that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. So, if I sound a little uh, stuffy, you know what's up. I was doing my Snapchat. Who here is doing Snapchat for their business? Anybody? Woo! Any DJ Khaled's in here. Keyed uh, success. Key, major key, major key. I thought I would talk about today: uh, motivation, procrastination, new 2016 change. So, one of my favorite quotes is the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. So, anybody heard that before? Raise your hand if you heard that. Warren Buffett says it. I'm not sure who originally came up with it, but the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. So, we got all kinds of ages here, levels of entrepreneurs, and life really, <clears throat> I've evolved or tried to evolve through different phases of being an entrepreneur. Whether it be, well, I started when I was 19 years old, Joel Salatin, and uh, uh, I was on his farm. And I said, Joel, there's this guy that has a a ranch next to you. And Joel said, and I said, we could rent, he said he'd give us the land for free to use. And Joel said, no, we're too busy here on on his farm, 500 acre farm. I said, well, I'll take care of it. And he said, well, you're busy here working five in the morning to five at night on this farm and I said yeah but I'll get a little headlamp you know those little headlamp things and I'll I'll do all my work on the farm and I'll drive over to this other farm it was actually about 45 minutes away I'll drive over and take care of that farm and so I did that for nine months and then we sold the cows that we raised and so my first business I made $12,000 in nine months so well, when you do the hourly that didn't do very well. but what it was doing was reinforcing a habit or a pattern that when you go out and do something it succeeds and so that's why I was saying to change the habit a lot of people for varying reasons as entrepreneurs they fail a lot at the beginning which starts to create habits of the mind patterns of the mind expectations of the mind and then They become like chains that are too hard to break. So some of you are young enough that you don't have any bad habits or you don't have a ton. Most people, if you're over, is anyone under 18 here? No, okay. One, okay, one, not many. But so most everybody here is old enough that you've already got ingrained patterns. So the question becomes, what are the patterns you're going to need? to do bigger things, whatever that might be. For some of you, it's trying to become a millionaire. For others of you, it's just financial well-being, quitting a job that you hate. For some of you, it's a big charity thing you're going to change the world with. It basically comes down to having of one Because for the most part now, everybody has relatively similar potential. You know, racially, ethnic, uh, uh, gender-wise, location. There still are, there still is varying forms of discrimination, sexism. If if you live in Bangladesh right now, it's a heck of a lot harder than it is for you guys to make money. But for the most part, what will differentiate the people in this room, if I come back one year from now, and you wrote down where you're at today versus where you'll be at one year from now, um, it will come down to what habits you formed or just. Reconstructed this year, 2016. We don't happen to have a blank board, right? That's okay. I don't need to... um, So, the biggest habit, or the biggest, I'm going to talk about three main habits that I'm focused on in my life continually because it's kind of like erosion or entropy. It's always getting worse. So, you have to put energy into it. It's not like your house. you got to always paint the house. Every few years, you got to paint the house. Every five, ten years, you gotta change your roof, period, for the next hundred years while you live in that house. So, I'm gonna give you three that I think are important for you to walk away from today. The first one is probably the most important one. one. It's what motivates you. Now, you hear a lot about this. There's books like The Purpose Driven Life and Yesterday, Tony Horton. You guys know who Tony Horton is? You ever heard P90X? So, he's probably the most famous personal trainer in the world because he sold 8 million copies of P90X. It's not bad. And they do a billion dollars a year with their Beach Body Shakeology. So, he came to, the, to to my place to train me in the morning, and we were talking. It's made. That dude's 57, and he's a machine. He did, I don't know if you ever, you ever done push ups on like little medicine balls, like little plyo balls. He could do, put four balls each foot's on it balanced it, and he can do 77 push-ups straight at 57 so he's a good guy for me to ask questions and I said to him at the end I said what's the best piece of advice you have for me and for anybody and he basically said it's really dialing down the exact purpose but I'm gonna throw an angle you haven't heard before who here has heard about figuring out your purpose and all that? okay I think that's good, but I don't think it's the best way to think about it. Not to be rude to those people that talk about that. They have a good point, but motivation is different than purpose. I'll give you an example. So if I say my purpose is to get a million kids in the ghetto reading books. I do a lot of stuff with reading. That's kind of one of my things. That's a purpose. So I like to think of purpose as vision. A vision is relatively pointless because I've never met a person, successful or very, uh, or unsuccessful, who doesn't have a vision. Take your friend who never does anything, the laziest friend you have. If you sit down with them and you go, what would you like to accomplish in life? They'll tell you. Excuse me, i for it. Just ask people what they'll do if they win the lottery. The one point, what's it at now? One point two billion $2 billion? I read that if you bought 1,800 tickets a week since the time of Christ, you still, today, would not have good odds that you win. So, <laughs> 2000. That was a professor at USC put that out. So everybody has a vision for what they would do if they won the lottery, but not everybody has the motivation to get there. So I think of a GPS in my car. I think of your purpose as the end goal that you put in your maps so you say i'm going to the grove in la so you punch in the, that's great but it's pointless when there's no fuel in the car then it's just a dream so the question becomes what is the fuel that motivates and drives you and this is a completely when i talk about this it becomes an uncharted nobody knows what the heck you're talking about smart Dumb professors. It's very complex for varying reasons. Some of it it goes against social norms. Which you'll see in a second when I start explaining it. Some of it is because, uh, what did Jack Nicholson say in that one thing? You can't. Oh, that's cool. well, yeah. You can't handle the truth, right? So I think some of it is it's the truth is painful. They call that pain-avoiding delusion. Charlie Munger's 25 cognitive biases. That's one of them. Okay, will you guys be able to see this? Because yeah. Yeah. will it pop on, will it pop on there? Because I don't know if they'll be able to see. If not, I want not use it. I don't even want to be left out. I don't know. Okay. Okay. We'll just keep it up here. What motivates you? What is the actual fuel? Let me just take a survey. There's no wrong answer. I won't nail you and be like, wrong or I won't embarrass you. Does anyone, what what motivates you? Anybody? No? Role model for kids, okay? Ty Lopez. <laughs> right. Serving. Serving, okay? Free time. Free time, cool. Okay, there's a three kind of sample. Think of it this way. Take a, if you guys have, I don't know if you have a pen and paper, but if you do, divide the sheet in half. Make a list, like a pros and cons list, but we're not gonna do pros and cons. On the left-hand side, put selfish motivations, and on the right-hand side, put unselfish motivations. Now, for any of you that are really into evolutionary psychology and stuff, you could argue all things that humans do are selfish, including jumping in front of a car for your kids, but we won't get that nuanced with it. We won't get that. Selfish, unselfish. What I want everybody here to do, let's think about the left-hand column, which is the selfish side. Capitalism is a very complicated subject. I don't know if it's the best thing, it's full of flaws, but so far, this is what we got right now in the world. And other attempts at non-selfish approaches like pure communism hasn't worked that well. I lived with the Amish for two years, two and a half years, and they're a little more socialistic, but they're actually very capitalistic too. So they have what I call conscious capitalism, which I think the world is slowly evolving into where you're capitalistic, yet you're willing to help out your neighbor. One of the greatest stories, before I went to the Amish, I was reading a book, because I had met some Amish people, and I was like, these people are interesting. And I thought, I gotta research them. So there's this book called Amish Society by this Yale professor, Hosh Ledler. And I read it, and he tells a story that there was this family who had a dairy farm. They weren't Amish, just regular Americans. And if you know anything about dairy cows, if you don't milk them every day, they stop you from milk. them. So they had a hundred cows, which is two people can't milk a hundred cows. So they had machines to milk hundred cows, and they woke up in the morning and their whole barn had burnt down. And they had taken out a loan for this farm and all the cows and all the equipment, and now they were going to go bankrupt because those hundred cows—if you didn't milk the cows um, within two or three days—they would start drying up and would not get milk, and you'd be out of business because you're selling milk. So these this husband and wife, they just had a kid, they just basically sat on the doorstep of their house and just started crying because there's nothing and then all of a sudden they said this is in Pennsylvania they see these rolling hills if you've ever been to Lancaster or Pennsylvania they hear klop-a-dee, 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 klop. And they look and there's just a horse and buggy with a young boy in it coming. and he comes over and he said my dad said my dad said we should take two of your cows back home and we'll milk it by hand for behind this one boy, like a total a boy, go back over the hill. Am I doing that? I won't reach that way. <laughs> and then I said, oh, we still got 98 cows. And slowly, clippity-clop, all day, every day, I mean all day, neighbors came, took all the cows, milked them for free, and then brought them back once they had rebuilt the farm. So that's conscious capitalism. The Amish had their own farm. They were making their own money. They had to provide for themselves, selfishly, you could say. But yet, when the time was, that need be, they would reach out. And one of the, the guy went back and tried to pay And Amr said, "You know, this is what Jesus said we're supposed to do. So you don't have to pay the same thing." Now, you don't have to be religious to like that story. It's a good story. So when you look at your list of the conscious of the selfish and the unselfish, it's okay to have both. The world won't function. And you really, I'm at the point now, if there's somebody who's like, hey man, I'll come work with you for free. I'm like, no, I want to pay you. Because people are socially motivated. And so the sooner you come to grips with that, the sooner you'll be able to really fuel yourself out of the bad habits and the chains. Because does anybody here feel like they have issues of procrastination or habits of overanalysis, fear, maybe going to the negative? Okay, it'll take, somebody said No. You're good. From Brazil, I remember you. So here's the four things you can write in the selfish column there on the left. Just put four Ms, M, M, N. The first one is material things. And I always put a slash, so material slash money. Some of you gotta come to grips, no matter what society says, that you are material motivated. It's Okay. As long as only about 25% of the world is greedy, it'll be okay. Adam Carolla, I on Adam Carolla's show. He has a hilarious thing. He goes, people always talk about greedy pharmaceutical companies. He's like, I want them greedy. I want whoever finds a cure for HIV to make $10 billion. Just cash because then every kid around them. You know why people want to play pro basketball? It's for the fame. It's also for the money. You got kids in the ghetto go, hmm, that guy's got a Bentley and this and that. So, it drives them to play basketball every day. Yeah. And so, his point, I don't know if it's true, is it's okay for there to be some greed. So, who here would say, honestly, it might be the first time you're willing to say this publicly, who thinks, and I'm going to give you a test at the end of these four. I don't know if I'll get through all three here this time, but I'll give you a test how you can accurately assess which one you are by using your subconscious. But, consciously, who thinks that's your one? 25% of the room should raise their hand. Who's just motivated by cool, money stuff, badass house, really nice clothes, you know, looking at the bank account? they like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Wait, raise your hand high. I want to see. Okay, it's about twenty-five. Seconds. The second one is mating. So mating slash, you could say sexuality, but I think mating is is a better term. And by mating, I mean. Uh, and this applies for men and women. Hugh Hefner, which do you think his for? Okay? he built playboy. He did become the richest man in the world. I saw the Playboy Mansions for for $200 million. If any of you materially motivated people have some money you want to buy a mansion for $200 million. But he was driven by me. Now, for those of you, most people in this room aren't like Hugh Hefner or don't want to be like Hugh Hefner, but you were saying about you know, your family mating is also marriage and things like that, and, and having that bond of family. So it's like a social connection, usually romantically. We could also call it mating slash romance. So who here, because remember, 50% of marriages, number one cause of marriage, divorce, are these four. And not being in place specifically money, this But who here is basically driven by wanting to be able to solidify that romantic part of their life. The lovers in the room. One! Okay. (laughs) One lover. We're primarily driven by that. Wait till I do this little test at the end. You'll see It's cool. I've never shared this test publicly, so you guys will be the first one to come up with it. Okay, uh, to hear it. The third one is mastery slash status. Who just likes to always be the best at stuff? Okay. (laughs) Hands went up real quick on that. As those people yeah, I, I, I want you to know I have a status in my first-hand rating. Mastery status. This one, a lot more people. And the fourth one is momentum slash movement. So you just, you gotta keep moving. You don't care if you have a... Johnny Carson, by the way, was this fourth one. I read it. It was a cool biography by his lawyer. It's fascinating. Johnny Carson. The reason I know he wasn't motivated by money is he never kept track of his money. All he wanted was always enough money that he could do whatever he wanted. So he's like, I want to go to New York. I need a place there." And his lawyer took care of it, always made sure there was money. He, got, he had a contract. Back in the late 60s, the U.S. tax graduated you know rate went up to 95%. People don't realize that. So your last dollar, if you're making a lot of money, you're paying 95% in tax. So he deferred a $100 million contract because he didn't really care. He's like, oh, give me the money in 10 years. He just wanted this would be the freedom one, by the way. Momentum. Who here is primarily driven by that? Okay, this one seems to get more with entrepreneurship. So, or, number them, those four. Put four. Number one is the first one. Just order the four ends. One, two, three, four. So, you're, you're my look. We got the top. We have material money things. Second, we have mating slash romance. Third, we have mastery slash status. Fourth, we have... Momentum slash movement. So which one's your number one? Two, three, four. You can just write those down. from. Her. Now, I'm going to do a test. Here's how you actually know. Because I realized this a long time ago that these are the four. I just didn't know how to – so I knew where the fuel was. I knew where the gas station was.
1: These four M's, the acknowledgement of them, is like you going, there's a gas station down the street.
0: But it doesn't matter if the gas doesn't get into your car. So that's the hard part, it's very hard. I would say I meet, once a year, I meet somebody that really knows what motivates them. And here's the best way you'll know.
1: If you bounce, tap dance out of bed every day, then you know what motivates
0: you. Warren Buffett says, I'm 85, every day I tap dance out of bed. Joel Salatin, he ne- He was actually out in my first mentor. He spoke at my conference and it was nice enough to speak there too, gave g- great talk, and Joel, was at my house, and I said, Joel, I don't ever remember you procrastinating. Do you procrastinate? He's like, yeah, I kind of struggle with it. And I'm like, no, I don't think you do. I think you're being home. He wrote you know, 12 books. He wakes up every day exactly 5 in the morning, writes from 5 to 5.45, right? And he just put out, I think, 14 books. He's not a procrastinator. And I realized that he knows exactly where the fuel is and how to get it into his car. And so most of those chains of bad habits kind of fall away they do it on their own. And the opposite of doing this is going to a lot of therapy or beating yourself up and going, why do I procrastinate? Kids that play video games, you take I so – I don't know what you guys were like when you were 17, but let's say you, your mom was like, why are you always play video games? Well, I went to this thing and Megan Fox was there. When you're a 17-year-old boy, you're pretty much driven by the second – of the ends, right, hating <laughs> women. So if, I've seen this before, if someone like Megan Fox walks in the room, every dude's energy level just like, there's, no, there's nobody playing video games anymore, people are lifting weights in the corner, <laughs> and they're doing all kinds of stuff. They actually did a study that if men um, have a pretty girl sit on their chest while they're doing bench press, that a man, especially a girl that doesn't necessarily like him yet, so he's trying to prove He'll lift 30% more instantly <laughs> testosterone. But you know your fuel, man? Okay? Now, for most of us, that's not the most applicable thing. You could, if you're having a hard time getting through your business stuff, guys, I guess you could take a girl sit on your shoulders while you do an email. But I think we rarely come to grips with these points. And here's how I think you can really know which one is your number one. Which of these four are you the most competitive on? So, I used to think, and a lot of people think money and material is mine because I got commercials with Lamborghinis. But I always was like, I don't think it is. I lived ten years on a farm. I lived two and a half years with no electricity and horses. I I lived six years with no running water. But if I was that materialistic, and that was when I was an adult. So I don't think it's it. And now. Here's how you know. When I see somebody richer than me, I'm never envious. Envy will tell you which of these four is yours. So instead of envy being something you try to get rid of, envy is the flashlight that illuminates your inner being. Right, you're the first person that people... I use this internally. I don't always share all my tricks, but this is one of my tricks. It's a game-changer one. So who here, when they see somebody with more money, batter-ass car... Cooler house feels a little empty? Anybody, raise your hand. Feel yeah, be honest. Trust me, be honest. The quicker you get the fuel inside you, all kinds of good stuff are gonna happen. Okay. Who here, when they see a guy or a girl with a better relationship, whether it be a more beautiful person or more, you know, a better family, who here feels a little envious? Yes. I know some women gotta raise their hand, I know how women are when they see another girl Look like, at that. Posting kissing pictures on her face, (laughs) like that's probably your motivator. Women, by the way, off that second one is a big one for women. Women can't, you know, it's. I'm not going to get into this subject because it's very. If I want to get tomatoes thrown at me, this is a good way to do it. But part of the reason that women don't make. What's the reason women don't make as much as men? Part of it is societal discrimination, and part of it is women are a little more enlightened, and they don't just care about having the biggest yacht. The richest men, you know, uh, Larry Ellison is competing with what's-his-name, on who has, they add two feet to their yacht. Women don't do that. But as I say, they're more enlightened. They're like, I got enough. But women are competitive about making sure their kids have a good upbringing. Men in most mammal species don't stick around just so we Women stick around for their kids. By the way, if you want to know the real science, it's whatever gender has internal gestation that cares about the kids the most. So in certain species of um, what are they called? Seahorses, where the men gestate, then the women fight over the men, and the women mate with the men and then leave and they're deadbeat seahorse (laughs) female. Seahorse (laughs) (laughs) calls. This third one, who sees, and this is one, status. When you see somebody, in a, you're at a house party, and someone else walks in, and they start stealing the spotlight. Everybody starts laughing at their jokes. Everybody starts, you were talking, and all of a sudden everyone's like, whoop! Okay, yeah, we well, got the first honest person, who here has a little bit of like, ah, envy over status. Okay, that's probably your primary motivator. So what you're gonna do, is you're going to flip these things, each of these, and begin to use them positively. And the last one is, when you see somebody who has freedom, like, you, you know, I would say, money is not money, it's options. Yeah. So when you see somebody, I, Tony Horton told me a great thing, he said, you know what, Tom, people get paid." I said, why? Well, he said, this weekend, I, want, I mean, this winter, I went on three hella skiing trips. And Beachbody was like, "We need to film a new P90x4 and this, and don't you want to make an extra fifty million dollars or whatever the number is?" And he's like, "No, I want to ski." <laughs> so if you hear that story and you're like, wow, what the heck's wrong with my life that I can't be like that guy?" That's your primary one. Now, the way you use these—23 seconds. We use these, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I go a couple minutes over? Wait for the uh, Apollo, what's the Sandman, you can So what I try to do is identify which of the four are my dominant ones, and then really allow myself to be selfish in that one area. And this is everything opposite that we've grown up with social controls. As long as you do this with relative common sense and not pure douchebaggery, Okay. (laughs) That's different for different people. So let's say your thing is status. You see other people with status and you're like, oh that'd be cool to walk in the room and everybody recognizes me and stuff like that. Well, then allow yourself to go there. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm gonna do X, Y, Z because one day people are gonna know my name. And I don't know if my primary driver is status, but as I look through my life, there's been times when there's absolute signs that it was, for example, when I was left, when I came back from the farm, back to the modern world from the Amish, I went to a nightclub <laughs> in Raleigh, North Carolina. I wish I had footage, footage of this. It would be very funny because I went to a nightclub. It was the top night. Somebody told me best nightclub. was this place called the Office. So I knew nothing about nightclubs. I'd been with the Amish. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no nightclubs there. And I, I just went alone, a dude just rolling up to a nightclub alone. If you don't have a nightclub, it's a prestigious one, they're not gonna let you in. So I go there and I'm kinda like, okay, now there's ropes and they're letting all these other people in and I'm like, okay, can I go in and the dude just like, he just laughed, he didn't even say anything. He was like, And I remember thinking, oh, one day, I'm gonna own all these clubs. And I ended up basically running that city. So that's what I'm saying. That was status. I wasn't like, ooh, I wonder how much money they're making at this place. <laughs> Mine was like, I didn't like to be disrespected. And I've seen that over and over in my life. So now I just came to grips with it. Some people aren't going to like you. They're going to be like, look at that person. You know, they care about status. Everything you hear, you hear quotes all the time. you're not, you know, we shouldn't. Doesn't matter who you are. Da da. Eh. A lot of those quotes aren't very accurate. <laughs> status, is, status is important, you know, and its status is very, very powerful, and if you use it for good, it's kinda like Bill Gates. He's clearly driven by money. You do not become the 17 richest man in the world without being hyper-competitive. Paul Allen, his business partner, so the two most competitive people I've met in my life are Michael Jordan and Bill Gates. Now Bill Gates, you better believe he cares about money but yet he's turned and harnessed that into the charity that, in some ways, may be done more good than all governmental organizations for the last hundred years. So that's why I say he's been able to pull it off. And if each of you could find your version of that. For some of you, it's like you pulled up in a car and everybody laughed at you and, you know, and you're know, you like, one day I'm going to pull up in a nice car. When I get out of this car, people are going to look at me and be like... Bob's oh, here. Susie's here. And as soon, you don't have to feel guilty for it. Mm-hmm. That's my main thing. As long, and I, didn't, I don't have time to go through this, but as long as you start filling... So this is the selfish side we started talking about. As long as you start filling up the unselfish side, it will offset the negative connotations that society has. Okay? With whatever drives you. Some of you guys... i give you a perfect practical example of this. I know a dude who always eats horribly, is always overweight, and can't, anybody ever have struggled to go to the gym? The average person goes to the gym once. uh, For one month after they get a gym membership. One to two months. Okay, so we have a whole world where people have good intentions, but again, they don't know the fuel, and I'll tell you why. Society says, well, you should just go to the gym for yourself. Well, there's lots of dudes. Arnold Schwarzenegger drove himself by women. It was very mating oriented and he knew, when he took his shirt off, that women paid attention. Now we've grown up being told, oh, that's shallow, it's not really shallow. Shallow, it's a
1: sign of fitness and health. And Dr. Helen Fisher says of
0: 100 mammals she studied, there's not one species that the women will are prefer unhealthy men, males, none. So it's not just human society, it's all places. So I told my friend, we diagnose his problems. He always wakes up and eats junky food at like midnight. He has I I like have a little craving. I said, "You need to put pictures on your fridge of the most beautiful women to you who are there." And just be like, "They'll never date you, <laughs> you <laughs> <them. laughs> And that's a little mind trick. Some people like that. Some people don't like that, but it works. Mark Cuban told me um, I shot a special weekend. We shot for five hours at my place, and he said. I said, how did you, uh, <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I'll come on. That so This says, Todd, this is the Apollo music. Mark <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cuban, just to wrap up, he said, I said, how did you, this is two indicators. And I don't even think he knows this about himself. I mean, he does, but I'm narrowing it down for you making it simple. He said, when he was broke, he used to drive around, I think, Dallas. And look at other people big nations and go, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to have it. So he was clearly driven by material things, and he came to grips with it. As opposed to, I had a friend, and she was reading some Eastern philosophy, and I said, That's good. Eastern philosophy is good. Don't go too far with it, because you're going to end up with no motivation. I've been to India before. India is an interesting country. Not everything is good about Eastern philosophy. Western philosophy has some merit, too. They both you try to merge the best of both. He then told me, this is my last story here, oh, I'm getting, uh, ejected this story. <laughs> He said, I made the mistake of bringing up Donald Trump to him. Apparently, him and Donald Trump do not like each other for a decade. They had some feud about, so I don't know where it started. It's like Hatfield and McCoy's. It's, it's the billionaire Hatfield and McCoy. And he said, he started a show that was gonna compete against The Apprentice, Donald Trump's show. And his show was called The Benefactor, and it failed. The ratings never were very high, and Donald Trump sent him a letter. And the letter said, oh, how's that show of yours going? It was one of these like taunting letters, handwritten letters. And I said, what'd you do with that letter? Now, what generally what people would tell you is you don't ignore it society I would say, don't worry what other people think of you, you know, just burn it or karma, you'll get his no, he said, I have two things in my office every day when I walk in I have my NBA championship for the Dallas Mavericks when I won that, and I have Donald Trump's letter framed he said, every day I walk up and when I feel like working and the chains of habit of procrastination were strong, I looked up at a letter and I was like, I don't like being disrespected that's mastery and status those are the two things that seem to drive Mark Cuban. money he drove around, and, and by doing that, he's a force for good. Now, Shark Tank is a show that's influenced more young people to be interested in entrepreneurialism, so that's his unselfish. He doesn't need to do that. He made $3 billion, but he's harnessing that, and he told me, I wrote a letter back to Donald Trump, and I said... The Shark Tank show we have seems to be going pretty good. How's your apprentice ratings going? Because that was like an apprentice guy. You said he never wrote me back. Never wrote me back. <laughs> All right, so thank you so much.